How many of you have gone to a wedding or wedding reception this past spring or summer? I know the Allens have. They hosted one. How many of you had? Yeah, well, Betty and I have had the opportunity to be at six of them uh, over this past spring and summer. Six of them that uh, we've enjoyed very, very much. Three of them that we attended as visitors and three of them that I had the privilege of of officiating at. But in each and one of those six, uh, we had to RSVP, uh, respond if you please, or if you know your French, répondez-vous plaît. Of course, that is the, outside of maybe the word voila, that is the extent of my French. So that's all I know. But anyway, we are so glad we RSVP'd because they were fabulous weddings and wedding receptions, great feast. We really and truly enjoyed them. It was something very, very special. In today's parable, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to uh, give us the, and we're going to see the intention for the parable itself. We're going to look at his articulation of it, and then we're going to look at the application through it. And we're going to see the importance of, actually we're going to see the absolute necessity of RSVPing. Not to a a friend's wedding, not to a family wedding, but to God's wedding and wedding reception, which will be the greatest and the grandest of all. And I want you to just uh, think about that. The title today and uh, really the question for you, for me, for all of us is, have you RSVP'd? I want to take you back 2,000 years and I want you to just sit and listen like Jesus' hearers would have. We'll have time to take our Bibles and apps and devices out in a minute, but I want you to just sit back and listen to the parable that Jesus gives, Matthew records in chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. I hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared the dinner and I have killed the fatted calf and have slaughtered all these animals and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, one to his business, and another seized the servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And he said to his servants, go out because the wedding feast is ready. But those who invited are not worthy. Go to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. And the servants went out on the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us from your word today. 
by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, so that the Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up and exalted, and that we may learn how to grow deeper in our discipleship under and through him. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, on our rock and our Redeemer, for we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles, your apps, your devices to Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Let's look first at the intention of the parable. The Lord Jesus made extensive use of parables. We can count up to 37 parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is a simple definition, earthly story with a heavenly message, but as Pastor Jason has shared over the last few weeks, uh, there's much more because it is God's working in and through us through those parables. So why did Jesus speak in parables? Well, to review, one, he did it to fulfill Scripture. Scripture in the Old Testament very clearly said Messiah would come and speak in parables. Second of all, it was to bring his disciples together, his inner circle, and to teach them, to clarify the teachings with them and to train them. Thirdly, it was to point the people to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to point them to faith. But fourthly, and very importantly for this parable, uh, Jesus was doing it to hide the truth from those who were not willing to accept it and who were those actually in opposition to him. So much so that in opposition that within just a couple days of Jesus saying this, the religious leaders would put Jesus to death through the work of the Romans. So Jesus is accomplishing that. Jesus is the master teacher, isn't he? He's the master communicator. And all of these parables are designed, and this one in particular, to bring about God's great kingdom purpose. So why this particular parable? Well, a couple of reasons. One, these are the closing days of Jesus' ministry. He has come in to Jerusalem triumphantly. He has cleansed the temple. He has spoken some of his final teaching and calling the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, to embrace him as Messiah and to be able to come and participate in the Messianic banquet. Along with the Gentiles who would come because of them, the Jews were called to influence the Gentiles and bring all into the kingdom. They would be familiar with this. In Isaiah chapter 25, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine well refined. So the people would be understanding the terminology Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is using this as a final critique, particularly of the chief priests and elders, because they had led the people astray and they had not embraced Jesus. They had not RSVP'd to the message. So let's look at the articulation of the parable. And Jesus speaks this parable and he begins in verse 2. And once again, Jesus describes the kingdom of God. He is saying to his hearers then, he is saying to you and me now, this is what the kingdom looks like. And the kingdom of God, we understand it is God's reign on earth. Jesus brought the kingdom when he came, and he began his reign, and he will complete his reign uh, in the near future. But it's also God's reign in us, and it is God's reign forever. All of that is God's kingdom, and Jesus has been telling the parables about the kingdom. 
He says in verse 3, the king's servants are uh, there and they're calling out people. Well, these are the Old Testament uh, prophets, right? They called the Jewish people to come and follow. But it's also leading into now the New Testament prophets, John the Baptist, the apostles, as they're going to be sent out for Jesus after his death and resurrection. So Jesus is saying the servants are out there. They are calling to come. But what? They would not RSVP. They would not come. And so the king, in his grace, the king representing God, the son in this banquet representing the Lord Jesus himself, the king in his great patience, his great uh, desire to have them come, continues. He doesn't give up. And so he says in verse 4, call them again and say, everything has been prepared so scrumptiously. Abundance of everything, come come. But in verses 5 and 6, they still would not RSVP. They wouldn't come to the invitation. And Jesus describes some of those. He said some are apathetic, so they went off to their farm. That was more important than caring about the kingdom of God. Some went off to their business. They were more involved in the materialistic aspect than the kingdom of God. Some were antagonistic. They went out and seized them and treated them badly or killed them. Within a day or two, Jesus himself would be put on the cross to fulfill God's plan to being the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So Jesus is challenging them. And in verse 7, it says that they still would not come. And so God sent his troops, the king sent his troops to destroy them and destroy their city. And in a sense, Jesus is looking back. He's looking back to the Old Testament prophets who had warned the nation of Israel to repent and turn to him, and they didn't. So what did God do? In 587, he sent King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and brought the people into exile. Jesus was looking back, but he's also looking ahead because they would reject the prophets in the New Testament. And in 70 AD, then General Titus, then soon to become Emperor Titus, would destroy Jerusalem in a similar way. God, through this representation of the king, Jesus is challenging them, verses 8 to 10. And so the king wants his reception filled, right? He's prepared it. He wants everybody coming. And so he sends out his servants to invite others to come. And those represent the Gentiles. That's you and me. If we don't have a Jewish background, we are a Gentile. We are recipients of this invitation. And he invites them to come to the wedding feast. And it's a reminder that the Lord is inviting. Who's he inviting? He is inviting all nations, all colors, all cultures. He is inviting to come to the wedding feast. And it says, interesting, he's inviting them and they're responding both good and bad. What what does Jesus mean by that? Both good and bad most likely means morally. There's a difference in how people live, the moral life of people. There are some bad, wicked, heinous people, right? There are good people, philanthropists and uh, people that care for others. But you know what? Compared to God's perfect standard, all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? All of us. And so when they need to respond to the 
the invitation that's given. They need to respond and trust, and they do. And they're brought into this banquet. In verses 11 and 12, the king comes in and he sees all these who have been attired for the bank. Now, whether he gave them the clothing, we don't know, or whether they had time after being invited, they went home and got the attire. They were fully attired, except what? Except one. And the king comes in and he looks at this one and he says, a man without a wedding garment. Uh, everybody had it except this one. And what, is, what does the king do? I love this. In verse 12, he goes up to the man and he says what? Friend. In just a few hours, as Judas comes with the troops to arrest Jesus, what is Jesus' word to Judas? Friend. God reaching out even at the last minute. Christ reaching out even at the last minute for people to respond to him. And here we see, I think, this man represents a fourth type of response, and that's an individualistic response. I'm going to come to the party, I'm going to come to this reception, and I'm going to do it uh, my own way. I'm going to get in there no matter what, and I'm not going to necessarily RSVP, I'm just going to crash the party. I'm going to do it my way. You know, the old Frank Sinatra song, more, much more than this, I did it what? I did it my way. Isn't that the American way? I did it my way. I did it on my own. And that's the attitude of some that keep them from RSVPing. Now, Betty and I had the joy of celebrating our 37th wedding anniversary uh, back on August 17th. Amazing that we have not changed in 37 years. I, I just don't know how that happens, but uh, we, we enjoyed that. And I bring this picture up uh, not for any uh, late-minute presence or anything like that. But, but to Betty's right, and you can't really see it, we couldn't find the other picture, but sitting uh, to Betty's right as we're leaving, uh, there's a woman, and there's a, uh, she's sitting there, and she's got shorts on, she's got a blue top and some uh, white stripes on it, and we've seen that picture from multiple angles, and we do not know who that woman is. <laughs> she was not invited to the wedding. It was very obvious because she wasn't dressed in wedding attire and it was a lot more formal back then. And so the king was able to really spot this man. He didn't have the attire on. And so what does he do? Verse 13, he punishes this man who had an RSVP. It's a reminder the Lord will punish those who turn down his invitation or who try to crash the party without RSVPing. And what has happened? It says they will be cast into outer darkness and there'll be weeping of gnashing of teeth. That outer darkness. I've been fascinated over the last weeks with the uh, photos that we're getting back from the, the web uh, telescope, the space telescope, the amazing things. And it's going out into the farthest end of the universe and we're seeing blackness like we've never seen before and amazing things with stars and all of the formations that are going on, the galaxies. Outer darkness, that's where this man is cast from. And then it says there'll be gnashing of teeth. What's gnashing of teeth? That anger, that angst, that understanding, I have an RSVP and now I'm being cast out. And in verse 14, Jesus finishes with a final call to RSVP. So what, what is the application through this parable today? Well, I think three things that 
I saw as takeaways from this this morning. The first is this, that God is inviting all. He's inviting all to RSVP to this wedding feast, both Jews and Gentiles, all nations, all colors, all cultures, all are invited. And God does it patiently. A great passage in 2 Peter 3, Pastor Jason quoted it a week ago. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing what? That any should perish, but all come to repentance. God does it patiently. And why does God do it patiently? Because it breaks his heart when people do not RSVP. Next Sunday is October 2nd. It would have been my dad's 102nd birthday. Uh, He made it to 96. Uh, I said, Dad, uh, you know, 96, great job. He goes, yeah, I'm still driving. I said, well... I said, well, Dad, no accidents. Yeah, you know, great, but there's a lot of accidents in your rearview mirror if you just (laughs) take a look. But Dad passed away, and we were going to have a memorial service, and the invitation went out. My dad had impacted a lot of people in the greater Chicago area, and of course, uh, most of his generation had died off at that point, but there were so many others, and they came, and uh, the three kids, the five grandkids, we were all going to participate in the service, and we just really wanted to celebrate my dad's life. And unfortunately, there was a noticeable group that wasn't there. My dad's side of the family is Greek, brought up in the Greek Orthodox Church, and there were friends of my dad, friends of mine, our family, who did not come because we were doing the service in a Protestant church, because it wasn't an Orthodox service, because it wasn't a priest leading it. And it broke my heart. It broke our family's heart. That these people we loved and cared for would not come, would not respond to the invitation to celebrate. And it breaks the Lord's heart when we do not RSVP. He does it patiently. He does it persistently. I love this in Revelation 22. Matt and the team did a wonderful job with that passage today in that song. But the last chapters of the Bible. In the last chapter, chapter 22, verse 17, God is still reaching out. The last words he's saying to people recorded for the rest of time, he's reaching out. He says in Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears come, and let the one who is thirsty come. There is still an invitation. He does it persistently. Someone said one time, God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. You know what speaks to my heart about this uh, section is gratefulness. Gratefulness, Lord, for inviting me to the wedding feast and working in my heart, working in my mind to respond and to trust you. And I hope that every day there's a spirit of gratefulness. Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. Are you grateful? Are you grateful for what the Lord has done in your life? Genuinely grateful? I think an action step for me, for for you this week is just each morning this week, Monday through next Sunday, Start your day and say, Lord, I am thankful. I am grateful 
for what you are doing in my life, what you have done in my life. Will you do that? Second of all, a takeaway, God is including. God's including those who have RSVP'd into the wedding feast. He's invited, but those who responded, he is inviting in, he's including in. It is God's design to give the church as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the universe even began, God had planned to give the church as a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 21, again, says, I saw the holy city, John's writing, I saw the holy city coming down from heaven, the new Jerusalem, prepared by God, adorned as a bride for her husband. God giving the church to Christ. And so really God's, and when looking at it, Christ is God's gift to us, right? His work on the cross. And the church, you and me, are God's gift to Christ. And we're a part of that gift if we have responded by faith and trusted Jesus. John 1.12 says what? For as many as received him, To them, he gave the power to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. And when we do that, we are attired with the wedding garment, the righteousness of Christ. When Benny and I were planning our wedding, uh, we wanted to have it thematic, and we landed on having our life, having our marriage, having hopefully our future family built on the rock of Christ. And so we had sung one of the great hymns of faith, and the final stanza of that uh, hymn says, When he shall come with trumpet sound, O may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. To respond to that, and and how does that speak to my heart? Well, I think eagerness, uh, an excitement about participating in this wedding banquet. I think the Apostle Paul felt that same way. He was writing in the church at Philippi in chapter 1. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? To die is gain. It's even better. It's even better. He was eagerly looking forward to it. When I worked with the FCA golf ministry, and yes, working in golf ministry, it really was a job, believe it or not, 13 years. Uh, I worked in golf ministry, and we had a friend named Forrest Culp, and Forrest uh, played in our events, was a good supporter of it, and uh, he had uh, lifetime tickets to Augusta National for the Masters. Uh, He called me one day out of the blue. He said, Dean, uh, I have two of my tickets available for a Friday round at, uh, at the Masters, would you be interested? And I said, well, I need, yes, I'm actually, I'm, I'll take those right now. So Benny and I accepted that, and we looked with excitement, eagerness to go to that. And we drove in on Thursday, went in on a Friday. Uh, we, no parking, I mean, no cost for parking, uh, dollar pimento cheese sandwiches, I don't know what they are now, but uh, we, uh, we walked around, we got in, we walked around the entire course, just beautiful, and then we positioned at Amen Corner, which is the 12th green, 13, uh, 11th green, 12th tee, 13th tee box, stayed there, and just had a marvelous day. It did not disappoint us. It was something eagerly looked forward to. But as beautiful as Augusta National is, it pairs in comparison, pales in it, to what heaven is going to be like. How much more eager we should be, you and I, 
to be looking forward to heaven. 1 Corinthians 2 says, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We need to look forward with that eagerness and excitement. Are you eager? Are you excited about looking forward to being a part of that wedding feast? One action step I think you and I could do this week is just turn to Revelation 21 and 22. Read those two chapters because they highlight what the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem will look like. And we could spend eternity Thirdly, lastly, God is excluding those who do not RSVP to the wedding feast. I think we see that clearly. Despite this amazing invitation, people still reject Christ because they're apathetic, because they're materialistic, because they're antagonistic, or because they're individualistic. They want to do it their own way. I can earn my way to heaven. I'll do it my way. And Jesus addressed this back in the Sermon on the Mount a little while earlier, Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. Jesus gave that call. Those who have never RSVP'd are excluded and face the eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Warren Wiersbe says this very challenging quote, if you are not born again, the day will come when you wish you had never been born. It's a place of outer darkness we see in the parable here. Hell is going to be the farthest part away from the light of the new Jerusalem and heaven and God's light. It'll be the furthest point, and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, regret and angst for not RSVPing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, it's a place where the worm does not die and the fire doesn't go out. Jesus used the word Gehenna. Gehenna meaning the Valley of Hinnom. It was just outside of Jerusalem, and what it was used as a garbage dump. And the garbage would be piled in there, and the worms and the maggots would be eating the garbage. Fire would be trying to burn it up. Jesus said, this is a picture of what hell will look like. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, fear him, fear God who can kill and destroy both body and soul in hell. And just a short while later from this parable, Jesus would give the parable of the sheep and the goats, and at the end he would say in that parable, depart from me. You cursed into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, but man will go there if they fail to RSVP to the message to come to the wedding feast. And probably the most grievous words I ever come across in Revelation 20, verses 10 and 15, it says they will be If anyone's name was not written in the Lamb's book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Someone said one time, born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. For born physically and born spiritually, we will be raised to life in the resurrection.
But if we're only born physically, we will die physically and we will die spiritually and be separated. And so what speaks to my heart about this, and that's the idea of brokenness. Brokenness. Brokenness for those people who have not RSVP'd who face this future, unless they do. How can my prayers, how can my words, how can my life be an influence on them and help them respond in RSVP? When Betty and I moved from here to Ohio eight years ago, needed a workout place, and so I joined LA Fitness over there and uh, worked out. And you, of course, when you go on a regular time, you get to meet people. And I met a guy who's an Indian background. Uh, he was Hindu, his big long name, but everybody called him Tap, T-A-P. Got to know him, he worked out hard. He really pumped the weights hard. Then after he'd finished, he'd go across the street, he'd eat a Panera, a nice healthy uh, meal. He worked at uh, Wright Pat. He was a scientist, he was a brilliant guy. But he asked me questions about Christianity, and I engaged him in the locker room. It was great. And one day he said, Dean, I don't want a Bible, but I'd like all the words of Jesus. I want to read those. And so I found a book that took all the red letters and put them in compartments and organized it, and I gave that to him. I said, hey, read it, let's talk. So we, uh, we engaged in some conversations, and then uh, there were tornadoes that hit on Memorial Day a couple of years ago, and uh, our church was going to send relief effort out to, to help out. And Tap heard about it. He said, Dean, I would love to do that. I said, great. So I had planned on him working with some pastors. I uh, come Saturday morning, and I'll get you in there. I, was, I had a commitment, but I was going to organize and leave. So Friday, I go in to work out. He's up on the balcony. He said, hey, Dean, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, Tap, I'll see you tomorrow. I show up on Saturday, he's not there, I text him, I call him, I'm getting organized, I get everybody ready, I tell the pastors, hey, here's a guy who's coming, I've had some ministry with him, uh, if he shows up, uh, please uh, love on him and care for him. And I had to take off. That evening, I get a, a buzz on my phone, I look, and it's a text message, and it says, this is Tap's sister. Tap had a heart attack and died last night. I don't know if news ever hit me so hard. And I don't know if Tap had ever responded. Betty and I went to the funeral service. It was a Hindu service. It was very grievous to be in there. But I just, I said, oh, Lord, sometime before you called him into eternity, did he respond to those red letters? Did he trust you? And is he with you? I don't know. I don't know. But it reminds me that uh, we can be involved in people's lives. What's an action step? I challenge myself, I challenge you this week to engage in at least one spiritual conversation or invite one person to come to church next week to hear the good news, someone who needs to be there. So what about you? How's this parable spoken to your heart this morning? Do you need to RSVP? to the Lord and trust him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The hope of Jesus, which has been our theme all year, says that if we trust him, he offers pardon for our sin, peace with Almighty God, the purpose and meaning in this life, the promise of eternal life in heaven, protection against eternal hell. You have that hope of Jesus in your life. The old hymn writer put it this way. 
Come home, come home, all you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. May we all, RSVP, to the invitation to come to Jesus, to come into his kingdom and experience the banquet, the feast. And if we have, to invite someone to encourage someone to come as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but so much more. Lord, you've invited us, and we thank you for that. You've included us in your kingdom through our SVPing in Christ. And Father, I pray for any that may be here or listening, watching, that are excluded right now because they not, have not RSVP'd. Lord, I ask by your grace, you bring them to repentance and lead them to faith in Jesus as they RSVP. Lord, as we partake of the elements in the table today, we're reminded to examine ourselves to see if there's anything or anywhere in our life we haven't obeyed you, Lord, and we ask for forgiveness. We've done so, and we echo the words of 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we Confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prepare our hearts, Lord, as we partake of the elements today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.